The following audio is from Pathway Community Church. More information about Pathway Community Church is available at www.pathwaycommunity-church.org. Look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 2 this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open to 2 Kings 2. That's in the Old Testament. It's about a third of the way in. Uh, You'll find it uh, by the time we get there, I'm sure. But uh, this summer, my family was on a vacation, went to Indiana, and my parents said, hey, we're going to rent a pontoon boat just so we can go out on the water on the vacation and just enjoy being out there. So one day we go out in the afternoon, and we stop at this one place, and I jump off. I'm like, I'm going to go for a swim. I dive into the water. I'm swimming around. And and then after a little bit, I notice like the pontoon boat is farther and farther away from me. And I'm like, well, that's not a good thing. And so uh, I, I realized, well, it, it's, it keeps drifting further away. And, and, and so here's what I learned, right? This is, you're going to want to take notes on this because this is pretty important. But uh, in choppy waters, when it's windy out, you have to make sure that you put the anchor into a secure place in the water, right? You can't just throw the anchor out and expect it to stay there. You've got to make sure the anchor connects to the bottom of the water and is secure, Otherwise, the boat will drift away from you, right? So aren't you glad you came today and learned that? All right. Well, the same is true for us as human beings. The waves are choppy these days in our world, right? The, the, the water and the currents are strong. And, and many of us are looking for some kind of stability. We're grasping for something to hang on to in the midst of the waters that we find ourselves in. And so according to a survey that's done by the Kaiser Family Foundation, almost half of all of Americans are angry or anxious or depressed right now. That's pretty serious. We're uncertain about covid We're uncertain about the economy and what's going to happen. We're uncertain about our own jobs. Am I going to continue to have a job? We're uncertain about the the protests that are going on. We're uncertain about the election and who's going to win and what happens if, if he wins or what happens if he wins. There's just a lot of uncertainty in our world today. And so the question this morning I want us to consider is this. In the midst of uncertainty... In the midst of uncertain times, where do we turn for stability? Open your Bible to 2 Kings or make your way there if you haven't already. And today we're finishing up our series called Hills and Valleys. And uh, next week, if I can just give you a commercial here, uh, we're starting a new series called The Heart of Jesus. You don't want to miss this series. Every series we do, I think, is good, and it all comes from the Word of God, but, but we desperately need to be introduced or reintroduced to the heart of Jesus. And so I don't know what your view of Jesus is, I don't know what you think about Jesus and, and what His nature is, but man, this series is going to just get right to the center of that, and we're going to meet and fall in love with Jesus, I guarantee it, if you come. But that's next week, and we're starting next week. And so we're finishing up today. We've been looking at the prophet Elijah. And Elijah, we've learned through his life, he goes through these peaks and these lows, these highs, these valleys. And and through it all, he continues to trust the Lord. And so we've been trying to learn from his life and understand, okay, how do we do the same? And so today we come to the end of his life. 
And we're going to see in 2 Kings 2, uh, he has this dramatic ending. And uh, in the midst of uncertainty that's going on, because there's a transition that's taking place from him to the one that's going to follow him. And so there's uncertainty and there's anxiety and there's concern. And, and yet we're going to discover in this passage three anchors, right? Three anchors to stabilize us in the midst of uncertain times. And so in our world today, in the uncertainty in your life and mine and the things that we're facing, you can find stability, you can find peace, you can have an anchor to hold on to, and the Word of God shows us and points us to those things. And so notice here the uncertain times that we see, verses 1 to 6 in 2 Kings chapter 2. It starts out here, verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Pop quiz. Okay? There's only two people in the Bible who go to heaven and they bypass death and they just go directly to heaven. Who are those two people? Okay, well, one of them we, you should know because we're looking at Elijah, right? And then the other one I already heard Hal said is, is Enoch. Two people. God took them directly to heaven. They didn't die. If your name begins with E, you have a good possibility that you might be one of the... <laughs> Here's what happened. God is going to take Elijah home and Elisha, his disciple... Elijah's been pouring his life into Elisha and training him, and, and he's following Elijah. And Elijah says to Elisha, please stay here. Stay here, Elisha, for the Lord's sending me over to Bethel. But Elisha refuses. He's like, nope, nope, I'm going with you. I'm not staying here. I'm not going to leave you. So they both go on to Bethel together. When they get to Bethel, they run into this, these prophets. They're called the sons of the prophets, right? And, and these are prophets that are in training. So in different cities across Israel, there were these small groups of prophets that were being trained on how to be prophets. It's like little seminaries, if you will. And in the midst of the, 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 the pagan culture, because they turned from God, there's still a remnant of people trusting. And these are the ones that are being trained to, to follow God and to know his word and to proclaim his word. And so they meet these, these sons of the prophets there, and, and so they say, well, hey, uh, they said, do you know that today the Lord's going to take away your master, Elisha? Did you know that? I mean, like, they know the, the Lord's prophecy that's come. They're prophets, right? And Elisha says, yes, 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 I know that. I know that. Just, just keep quiet. Don't say anything. You know, we do this, right? Maybe, you know, we, something's going to happen we don't like, and we're like, maybe, maybe if we don't talk about it. Maybe if we just don't, don't talk about that, maybe it just won't happen, right? I mean, that, that's what's going on with Elisha. He's like, I know he's going to leave. I know he's leaving. I don't want him to leave. Just don't bring it up again. Elijah says to Elisha, please stay here. The Lord's called me now to Jericho. And so from Bethel, the Lord calls him to go to Jericho. And Elisha refuses again, and he wants to go with him. And so he does, and they get to Jericho. And guess what? The sons of the prophets come out again. And, and they come out, and they say, hey, did you know, Elisha, today the Lord's going to take Elijah home by a whirlwind? <laughs> like, don't say that. Like, maybe if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Next, Elijah says, please stay here. The Lord is sending me now to the Jordan River. And 
Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will go with you. I'm not going to leave you. And so they go on to the Jordan River and they get there. And okay, the third time, who do you think comes out now when they get there? The sons of the prophets. Yes, 50 sons of the prophets appear. The Lord's about to take Elijah home and he's not going to die. He's going to go and he's going to be taken up directly into heaven by a whirlwind. Further down in verse 11, we learn also that this is going to happen, this whirlwind that's going to come, and there's going to, he's going to go up in these, this chariot. It's a chariot of fire with horses leading the way. And like, this is not fantasy, right? This is really happens. That's how he's going to go up to heaven, in, the, in this chariot of fire with horses, and it's going to be in a whirlwind. It's interesting, chariots and horses represent military power. In that day, at that time, if you had an army and your army had chariots and horses, you had military power. I think what this is symbolizing, it indicates that Elijah was Israel's defense system. Right? Elijah was the one who defended, and God used him to defend against evil King Ahab. Remember that? King Ahab turned the people away from God to serve the Baals. And then Elijah comes and says, hey, we're going to have a showdown at Mount Carmel. And there's a showdown, and, and the prophets of Baal are there, and, and they call out, but nothing happens. And Elijah calls out to the one true God, and fire comes from heaven, consumes the altar. It's like, we know who the one true God is. Elijah represents God's military defense over his people. He's about ready to go back to heaven, or go to heaven to go home, to be with the Lord. And, and you can imagine the concern that, man, if that happens, we're losing our defense. We're losing the one who's been protecting us and leading us and, and giving us the victory. And they're concerned. They're anxious. Now here, even though God's the one who's protecting them. They see it happening through Elijah. And, and, and so there's uncertainty and, and what's going to happen to us. And isn't that where we're at today as a country? Time of uncertainty? There's so much concern and anxiety about the future of our country and what's going to happen to us and who's going to win the election. And if this person wins, what's that mean for us? And if, if this person wins, what's that mean? I mean, there's so much uncertainty and anxiety. And the future and the economy and COVID and what's going to happen. And, and then the church, right? Concerns in the church. What's going to happen to the church? People have been home. Some people haven't been back to church since it started. And, and it's like, man, you know, are people going to just stop coming to church? Are we going to lose people from the church? I mean, what's uh, pastors are tired. Are we going to lose? Pa- I mean, there's so much concern right now. As we look at the rest of this passage, we're going to see three anchors we can hold on to to give us stability in the midst of of uncertainty. And so let's look at these three anchors. And may the Lord give us his his help, his grace to hold on to these. First, anchor number 1. In the midst of uncertain times, we can trust that God's power still reigns. Did you know that in the midst of uncertain times, you can trust that the power of God still reigns, that God is still on his throne, that he's still in control? 
Look at verse 7. Elijah and Elisha are standing on the edge of the Jordan River. Remember, they made their way to the Jordan River. And, and the 50 prophets are standing at a distance, and they're watching. And, and Elijah takes his cloak, and he rolls it up. And then he reaches down with his cloak, and he strikes the Jordan River. And as soon as he strikes the Jordan River, the water parts, it separates, and they're able to walk through the Jordan River on dry land. Elijah and Elisha make their way across the river, and it's dry. Once they get to the other side, Elijah turns to Elisha and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Like, what can I do for you? What what do you want from me? Elisha asks him, not for riches, hey, not for a, you know, can you give me a sweet vacation home, you know, down by the Dead Sea? Now he's like, I, I want a double portion of God's spirit. Like, like I see God's spirit in you, Elijah, and I want a double portion of that. Would you, would you, would you ask God for that? Elijah says, well, if you can see me being taken up from you, up to heaven, it will be so. And at that moment, chariots of fire and horses came down from heaven And took Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elijah witnessed this. He saw this happening. He saw Elijah going up into heaven in the chariots of fire. He he watches this as they... I mean, I can't even imagine what that must have been like to see that. And he's crying out, my father, my father. Now, he he wasn't his earthly father, but he was was the one, his mentor, his discipler. I mean, he he loved him. And now he's seeing him leave. After that, sometime after that, Elisha, he goes back to the Jordan River. He's on the other side of the Jordan River now, and, and, and the 50 prophets, the sons of the prophets, are watching this. And, and so he takes the cloak of Elijah, which is there on the ground, and he picks it up, and, and he rolls it up again, and then he comes to the water, because he saw Elijah do this. And, and so he takes it, and, and he touches the water, and... The water parted. And he walks back across the Jordan River to the other side. The 50 sons of the prophets saw, saw two go over the Jordan. They see one come back. Elisha. He comes back across and, and the sons of the prophets, like they get the message. They get the message. Here's the message. The same power that was with Elijah. The same power of God that was with Elijah is now with Elisha. Two observations I want to make about this. First of all, God's power, listen to me, God's power is not tied to a particular period of time. Never throughout history has God's power been tied to a specific period of time. This crossing of the Jordan, does it remind you of anything? It reminds me of 550 years before this incident when Joshua, see Joshua is the one after, after Moses who's going to lead God's people into the promised land. And so they make their way, all of Israel makes their way to the edge of the Jordan River. And the promised land is on the other side. And Joshua touches the Jordan River, and the Jordan River parts, and, and the Israel walks across into the promised land on dry ground. That is an amazing picture of God's power at work. 
Don't you think when they saw this going down with Elijah and Elisha, it made them think of, oh yeah, remember when God's power separated this river before. But see, God's power is not contained in in a certain period of time. The power of God that was at work when Moses crossed the Red Sea and God parted the waters, and when Joshua touched the the Jordan and they went through, and when Elijah and Elisha touched it and they went through, is the same power at work in the world today. It's the same power that is available to you and to me through the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus by faith, it's the Spirit of God living in us today that did this. God is still at work in the world. His power is still at work. He's still on his throne. And despite what you might think as you look around at our world, God's power is still prevailing. Here's the second thing I want to point out. The same God who used Elijah now uses Elisha because God's power is not dependent upon a specific person. Sometimes we can get caught up in, a, in kind of this celebrity culture and we can look at certain people in the church or certain authors or certain people that have more airtime and we can think, man, man, the, the power of God is really on that person. Man, they can do something that I can't do. They've got power that I can't make that happen. It's like, listen, listen, listen. The power that we have through the Spirit of God is God's grace at work in our lives. And there's no one person who who has a corner on the market and I got more power because I'm somebody. No, it's by God's grace that we have his power and God works through different people irregardless of who we are. In fact, God's actually in the business of using people that are not like the world, successful and and, and look so powerful. He uses the, the lowly and the humble and the weak and he puts his power inside of them and us to show the world that it's God who's doing this. Unfortunately, we tend to think that God speaks or works through specific people more than others. But let's remember that God is still on his throne. His power is not limited by time or by personalities. But God is at work today. And so here's here's the good news. In the midst of uncertain times, in the midst of uncertain times, look to God. God's power is still at work today. And he has power available to us through his spirit As we trust in him, as we depend upon him, as we ask him to fill us with his spirit, his power is available to us. He'll give you what you need today if you look to him and trust him. Anchor number one, in the midst of uncertain times, we can trust that God's power still reigns. Are you holding on to that anchor today? How many anchors do we have? Okay, thank you, I forgot. I didn't. Anchor number two, in the midst of uncertain times, we can trust God's wisdom to guide us. Verse 15, after Elisha crossed back over the Jordan, the 50 prophets who were at Jericho saw this, right? They, rec- they see it. And they recognize the spirits now on Elijah, right? They, they see that. So, but but what, they're like, what happened to Elijah? What happened to him? Right, so, so let us go find him. 
right? We, we want to go find Elijah, right? Can I go find Elijah, please? And maybe the Spirit of the Lord, like maybe, maybe God transported him. Like maybe he's over in some mountain, on some mountain peak, or, or maybe he's in a valley somewhere. Like, can we go look for him? Like, we, we miss him already. Elisha says, don't go. Don't go. Don't waste your time. Don't go looking for him. You're not going to find him. Doesn't say all that, but I'm just kind of, I'm imagining that's what he's telling them, right? He said, don't go. But they kept urging, yes, what what we need to, please, please, let us go, please. I mean, it made me think of, like, you know, kids, sometimes they're like, they want something, right? And they're like, oh, man, come on, please, let me do it, let me watch it, let me have it. Oh, please, and they wear you down, they wear you down. If I, okay, just, just go. So they go. They go in search of Elijah. But guess what? It was fruitless. They didn't find him. And so they sometime later catch up with Elisha. And <laughs> I can just hear him, right? Told you so. I told you you weren't going to find him. Told you. See, Elisha was giving them godly wisdom, but they didn't want to hear any of it. And they were following worldly wisdom. This is what happens to us today. God offers us godly wisdom. He says, here's godly wisdom. I'll give you godly wisdom. My, my word has, has wisdom that's from above for you to follow. Uh, will you follow it? No, no, no. I want to do it. I want to I do it my way. No, no, I'm going to do it my way. Five differences between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Just take note of this. First of all, worldly wisdom appeals to emotion. I feel this way. I feel strongly this way. It must be true. I mean, I feel it to the depths of my being. It must be true. And worldly wisdom says if you feel it, then it is. It's true. Godly wisdom says, you know what, emotions, yes, they're real, but we can't trust our emotions. In fact, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all else. We can be deceived by our emotions. Did you know that? And if you're putting on, uh, banking on your emotions and how you're feeling and thinking that's what truth is, it's like, no, you're going to be led astray. But godly wisdom says, no, I don't trust my emotions. Yes, we, give, we, we, we recognize them and God's made us to be emotional beings, but we don't live and make our decisions based on our emotions. Second thing, worldly wisdom says seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. If I can see it, if I can touch it, if I can feel it, then it's true. If I can't see it, if I can't touch it, if I can't feel it, then it must not be true. That's the world we live in. But godly wisdom says this. We live not by what is seen, but what is unseen. We live by faith in the promises of this book, the word of God. And we walk by faith, not by In fact, the Bible goes on to say that anything that we do that's not done by faith is a sin. Number three, worldly wisdom says, think of yourself first and what's in it for you because no one else will. Hey, no one else is looking out for me. I better look out for myself, right? I better, you know, put myself out there and make sure everybody knows how great I am and, and let them see, you know, but, the, but godly wisdom, godly wisdom says, no, we, we think of others' needs and the, the others' 
concerns above our own. We think more highly of others than ourselves. That's godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, it says our problems are a result of the things that others done to us, right? The, the things that I'm experiencing in life, the difficulties and problems, that's because of other people and, and, and my past and what happened and my circumstances. And so, so that's the reason. Worldly wisdom says that. But godly wisdom says our problems are the result of, of our hearts and the sin that resides in our hearts be, because of the way we were born and because of what we do. And that until we deal with our heart problem, we'll never know life to the abundant life that God offers Worldly wisdom says there are many ways to God, many different spiritual paths. You know, you just follow your path and I'll follow mine. Just don't tell me which, you know, like mine's wrong and yours is right. Just don't, don't mess with me. That's worldly wisdom. But godly wisdom says there are many roads that lead to destruction. There are many paths that lead to eternal destruction, but there's only one path that leads to eternal life, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. And by putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone, can you know eternal life, the life that truly is life. And so godly wisdom is the application of the Word of God by the Spirit of God. And James, in the book of James, he invites us to pray for godly wisdom. Like God wants to give that to us today. And when you receive godly wisdom, it guides us. It gives us direction for how to live in a way that is the best for us and brings glory to God. In the midst of uncertain times, we can still trust God's wisdom to guide us. We can still trust Him to lead the way. That's why we're gathering on Tuesday night to pray for God to give wisdom, for God to guide us, for God to lead us, for Him to show us what is the way forward in the midst of this election season. Anchor number two, in the midst of uncertain times, we can trust God's wisdom to guide us. Here's the third anchor. Are you holding on? In the midst of uncertain times, we can trust that God's grace still saves the cursed. Verse 19, Elisha is at Jericho and the men of the city come to him. And they say, the city's pleasant, but the water stinks. Right? The water is really bad in this city. In fact, the water is so bad that the land is unfruitful. Now, if you hear unfruitful, you think, well, that just means the crops aren't growing because of the water, right? But, but if you look at the word unfruitful, it means more than just the land is not bearing crops. In fact, another translation says, the people of the city said to Elisha, the city is pleasant to live in, as my Lord indeed can see, but the water is foul and the country suffers from miscarriages. Like the situation was far worse than the land not producing fruit. It was such that by drinking the water, it was causing women that were pregnant to have miscarriages because the water was so bad. And so Elisha, he asked for a bowl and he puts salt in the bowl and, and then he goes to the spring that's, that's providing water for Jericho and, and he throws the salt in the spring and guess what? The Lord heals the spring, right? He's like, this, the water that comes out of this now will be neither death nor miscarriage from it. There'll be now, it's life-giving water that comes from this spring, it's like God's word through God's prophet brings grace that brings healing to the people. Wow, I love that story. 
But wait, there's more. I want you to get this, right? Are you still with me here? You guys online, hold on, you're getting your second cup of coffee, right? Okay, we got more, right? Listen to this. We have to go back and look at the city of Jericho, like back to when they first come into the promised land. Right? The Israelites enter the promised land and they march around it seven times, seventh day, seven times. They defeat Jericho. It's destroyed. Joshua, at that point, utters a curse on anyone who would seek to rebuild Jericho. This is a condemned city. This city is under a curse. In, J- in Joshua six twenty six, listen to this. Joshua swore an oath that says this. Cursed be the man or woman before Yahweh who rises up and shall rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set the doors in place. You try to rebuild Jericho, guess what's going to happen, God says. You're going to lose your children. They're going to die because of that. Now you say, well, man, that's, you know, is God's word really true? Fast forward to King Ahab. You know, King Ahab, evil King Ahab that we just looked at, right? Who, who led all of Israel to worship Baal, except for a remnant. King Ahab and his people, they didn't know the word of God. They didn't know the curse on Jericho. If they'd known it, they wouldn't have tried what they're going to try. Look, it's a, in 1 Kings 16, verse 34. In his, Ahab's day, Heel, the Bethelite, rebuilt Jericho. At the cost, get this, of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid the foundation. And at the cost of Sugub, his youngest, he set up its doors. According to the word of Yahweh, which he spoke by the hand of Joshua, son of Nun. God said, don't try to rebuild it. But if you do, here's what's going to happen. And you know what? It happened. Hiel had the nerve to rebuild Jericho, and it cost him his children. Now, this is, this is significant. This is significant. The city, the city, Jericho, which is under the curse of God, now receives the blessing from God's grace. The city that was called Curseville now becomes Graceburg. Right? I mean, like, this is the heart of God. This is God's heart to say, if you're under a curse, if you're in bondage to sin, if you're in a place where you are stuck and you don't have freedom and peace and you're full of anxiety and fear, God says, listen, I want to come into that place. I want to come into your heart. I want to come into your life. And I want to bring you grace and healing where there's curse and destruction. Man, is that not a word our churches need today? This morning, we said goodbye to Maggie and to Yasko. And we didn't have time to get all their testimony, right? We talked about it a bit, but man, they were both living in darkness when they came to Pathway. They were both living under the curse of sin when they came to this church. But they came and God brought them and and through pathway and through you, the people at this church, they came to know the grace of Jesus. 
And they talked about how their lives were transformed. They were transformed. They were, they were brought out of the darkness and into the light of Jesus. A place where there is a curse because of sin is now a place of grace and blessing. And that's God at work. Listen to me. Listen, the anchor we hold on to is that in the midst of uncertain times, God still brings His grace to save those who are under the curse of sin. He's still doing it today. He's still doing it today. If you're you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you're living under the curse of sexual sin, if you're here and you're living under the curse of addiction to alcohol or drugs, if you're here living under the curse of selfishness or or the curse of anxiety or the curse of, of of idolatry, the good news this morning is that God still brings grace and healing to those living under the curse of sin. You can have freedom today. All you have to do is believe in Jesus that He can set you free and stop trusting in yourself, but trust in Him and He will set you free. And listen, whom the Lord sets free is free indeed. And so this morning, in the midst of uncertain times, we can trust God's power. His power still reigns. His power still reigns. We have hope. God's wisdom still guides us. And God's grace still saves. You know, I I love this morning that we get to come to the communion table together. Because there's nowhere else that you can see the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God on display more clearly than at the cross. The cross is foolishness to the world, but it's the wisdom of God. It looks like God has no power left, but then on the third day, through the power of God, Jesus rises from the dead. People are living in, in the darkness and, and defeat of sin. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he extends his grace. And those that trust in him are fi- find new life in Jesus. So this morning, if you're here and you know Jesus, or if you're watching online and you know Jesus, the invitation is to come. Come to the table and remember his power and his wisdom and his grace today. If you're here today and you've never made that decision to trust in Him, that you can do that this morning and you can find the freedom that comes from His grace. It's available this morning. And so I want to invite whoever's passing out the communion elements to come forward. And we're going to pass out the the elements and it's basically a, a cup with a wafer on top and you can take that apart and take the wafer out and then be ready if you if you would wait until we all have been served and and at home, please wait. And then after everybody has the bread and the cup, we'll come back and we'll take this together. As they're doing that, I would love for you just to worship the Lord and to remember His death and His resurrection. And, And let's remember His power, let's remember His wisdom and His grace that's available today. Let's sing.